Hey there. I'm on my own today, and I miss having Eula here, but I thought about her a lot making this next episode. Eula has told me more than once that most conversations about stuff like gender equity, toxic masculinity, and sexual harassment exclude men. And if I'm honest, sometimes Eula's argument kind of bothers me. I find myself thinking stuff like, okay, there are more men named John who are Republican senators or Democratic governors than women who are senators or governors at all. Men have plenty of spotlight already, so of course they're not centered in conversations about gender and power. (sighs) But then, on other days, I really think about what Eula is saying, and I wonder if maybe she has a point. Coming up, we get into why it matters that men have a part in conversations about gender, power, and the patriarchy. This is BTSW, Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. Eula is out this week. I'm Jeannie Yandel. Eula isn't the only person who argues that you can't have effective conversations about gender and power without men. Liz Plank is an award-winning journalist and an executive producer and host at Vox Media. Her new book is called For the Love of Men, A New Vision for Mindful Masculinity. And when we talked, I started by asking her something that I've heard her say before that I think should just be made into a t-shirt. It's this. The patriarchy is a pyramid scheme. The more research I did, the more it confirmed this theory um, that most men actually don't benefit from the patriarchy. Um, And by that, I mean all of the ideals and a lot of the um, pressures of this sort of man box, right, that we talk about, which are the stereotypes of masculinity, that you have to be dominant, that you have to be aggressive, that you have to be straight, white, able-bodied, right? All of these categories of, of, of a power dynamic in which most men don't actually, you know, aren't able to actually attain those ideals. And so um, why I think the term pyramid scheme is so accurate is that I think with femininity, with women, we know that the system of patriarchy is intended to oppress us. But I think that it's not as well known just how much patriarchy also oppresses men. And so I think it's a it's a really valuable conversation for us to have um, because it's a you know, it, it, it adds a different layer to this really important feminist conversation that we're having. Um, and it makes all of us part of, uh, you know, being part of this effort and being part of this movement because we realize that 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 we all benefit when we're able to unlock and disrupt um, these power structures in our society. And one of those power structures is the patriarchy. Hmm. At what point did you realize that there just there wasn't enough conversation or really much of any conversation about how patriarchy also hurts men as a power structure? Yeah, I think that I, look, I'm a women's studies major. I have a (laughs) master's in in gender theory. Uh, Most of my classes were entirely female. And we would have these, you know, incredible conversations. And and obviously, you know, I've worked in New York media for several years. And I would be invited to amazing conferences, amazing panels, and uh, dinners, and events. And uh, again, there'd be, like, two guys at the back. um, And most of them were, you know, dragged there, like someone's cousin, you know, who's out of town 
town or whatever and like you know some woman's boyfriend and and we'd be happy to see them there but it didn't seem like a very productive way to reach men to just tell those two guys in the back to go and you know change all the other men and you know let them know how great feminism is and gender equality um and so yeah i just realized that half of us were missing from these conversations and more importantly uh the people who are <laughs> responsible um for many of these problems were missing and mm-hmm. i think that it's you know it's it's equally uh problematic when we're having conversations about racial justice where there's only uh, you know where white people are absent or white people are silent um we need everyone in the room in those conversations and we need to have a movement that's inclusive and accessible and that's like a block party not a speakeasy right where um you may not know all the right terms or you may not you know you make you may make some mistakes um and you might have done things that you're not proud of right mm. um if you've been raised as a man in our society for sure uh right the the messages that you've received you've probably um you know acted on and 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 regret but that doesn't mean that you can't be part of this movement and that doesn't mean that you're not redeemable and it doesn't mean that you know we cancel you or we exclude you um i think that we have to um ha- have empathy right for men in our society and and hold them accountable of course but have empathy that it might be hard for them um to adjust to a new society and in the same way that you know our parents had have to adjust to certain things right certain things used to be acceptable and they're not acceptable anymore um we make space for those conversations and and i think that we create a much more productive social justice movement um when 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 we are grounded in that empathy there's really there's an interesting tension between empathy and accountability as you were talking mm-hmm. about empathy i found myself thinking like what so it's just okay it's okay that you know that some men even though they feel deep pressure to sort of act the way they're supposed to act as masculine manly men that they mm-hmm. are still oppressing lots and lots of people but that's not what you're saying no and and that often is what gets confused uh even last night i was you know uh on uh I- instagram and i saw this you know comment from this woman that was like i love this book and but i also f- have mixed feelings that you know it's women's responsibility to fix men and that is absolutely not what i'm saying <laughs> um and 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 i want to really be clear about that there's um I I think that we believe that having empathy is opposed with accountability and that those two things uh, can't sort of occur and don't go hand in hand. But actually, um, on this journey that I've had of just writing this book, when when I started writing this book, I I had that opinion, right, that men need to fix themselves and men need to do this for us. And I also believed in this lie. Um, There are many lies that we tell about men in our society, but I think that one of them is that men are inherently... Not, not as good as women. Men are inherently, mm. uh, you know, more dictated by their hormones than women or more dictated, you know, the the, the penis brain myth is something that I talk about yeah. uh, in the book. The, the idea that men are more violent and aggressive because of testosterone when in fact studies do not link testosterone to violence at all. Um, these are socially constructed differences. And when I started understanding that, that men were doing the best that they could with what they've been given, I actually started to hold them more accountable and I walked away from situations because because I wasn't convinced that this was just the standard that I needed to accept because men were just like this. And there's actually studies um, that Brene Brown has done on uh, women who are uh, victims of domestic violence 
And women who have empathy for, for the men that are literally hurting them, um, women who believe that, again, the men in, in, in the abuse of men in their lives are doing the best that they can, are more likely to leave not more likely wow. to stay. And so, again, we we have, I think, trouble with empathy. Uh, we are living through difficult times where um, people don't want to have empathy for other people. They feel very angry at other people. And of course, that anger is valid. Yeah. But but you can both, yeah, feel angry and be valid in that anger and still have empathy for others and for yourself. Um, and, and, and that doesn't make you weak. That doesn't mean that you stay in abusive relationships. It actually can make you, I, I think it makes us stronger. And yeah, for me personally, the, the journey of the book um, made me more, I don't know, more, um, not more tolerant of this kind of behavior, but believing that that this is not normal and that we can make change happen. And it's made my my activism more productive and my relationships more productive too. So, I'm, I mean, I'm wondering where this notion, uh, this notion of masculinity fits in when we're talking about the workplace. I mean, you wrote a whole chapter in the book talking about mm-hmm. the link between masculinity and work. What does that look like? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, there's so much there to sort to talk about. So, obviously, one of the well, not not obviously. I mean, I I had this beginner's mind to masculinity because I did not grow up as a man in our society, <laughs> and um, therefore I, I'm not interested in telling men how to be men or what it's like to be a man. But I um, asked very simple questions to men about their masculinity um, in the process of reporting out this book. And one of the things that really struck me, uh, first of all, was how little men had thought about masculinity. <laughs> or how little they've been encouraged to uh, inquire what what their gender is and and how their gender has affected their lives. Um, and 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 while women have a lot of conversations around femininity, around um, you know what it means to be a woman, the pressures, generally, men are not as comfortable having those conversations in in a sort of casual sense. So one of the things that I would ask men was like, what 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 does it mean for you to be a man? And often the thing that came up the most was, you know, providing, right? This idea of the provider was the most quintessential uh, central theme of masculinity uh, for, you know, a lot of the men that I interviewed, no matter how old they were. And so work is incredibly important to men's identities, right? And we are going through difficult economic times. And there are, you know, many presidential candidates who are addressing this, Andrew Yang being one of them, right, saying that in nine states across America, the most common profession is uh, is truck drivers. And truck drivers are primarily, uh, you know, some of them are women, but primarily it's a very male-dominated industry. And it's it's the industry that's most likely to become automated in, you know, our lifetime. Yeah. And so what happens, right, when work is the most important part of your identity and that you lose your work, right, or that your relationship to your work is become difficult or unpredictable or uncertain, that creates a lot of stress. And that creates a lot of um, difficulty of meeting society's expectations of what you think you're supposed to be. And so I think it's important to talk, you know, I, I talk about the, the 2008 recession. Uh, a lot of economists 
actually labeled it the man session, uh, which is the name of that chapter, because so many of the jobs that were lost were uh, male-dominated jobs. And most Mm. of the fastest growing jobs in our economy right now are actually female-dominated jobs. So it's jobs like uh, that have to do with healthcare, like nursing, and obviously education, teachers, 90% of teachers are women. Um, These are, you know, it's not because women are uh, better at nursing or better at teaching that they are uh, female dominated industries. It's actually at their inception, teaching was actually a male dominated profession. Nursing was all male. Um, And we've made these changes. These are socially constructed changes. And and, and now we view teaching as something that, you know, women are just better at. Women are more nurturing. It's something that women are just, you know, have a preference towards. And again, we're, I I think, using certain, uh, we're we're sort of rationalizing the changes in our economy based on these gender biases that we've that that we you know have established and that we have all social you know, they're sort of socially agreed upon, um, but they're not actually rooted in truth. And when you um, make these jobs seem very uh, female or mm. feminine, then men uh, in in a lot of cases are not even applying for the jobs that are made available to them. So right now there are 10 million missing men in our economy. Right there are 10 million men who are of uh, working age um, and who are not who are who are unemployed and many of them are not even looking for work anymore and so we have to change um, what it you know we, we have to sort of inquire um, around these gender uh, identities right and that if work is so central to men's identities and that's the only way that you can be a man in our society hmm. that's not that's not actually a, a s- something that is sustainable um, as as an ideal in such a precarious economy. Um, that a man's job fits into a certain box and excludes certain professions like nursing and care work and social work and um, doesn't doesn't reflect our reality. And it's not good for our society, right? To only have I mean, if you that I talk about black teachers, for instance, in the book, only two percent of uh, teachers are black men, and for uh, especially young black boys who come from marginalized, um, you know, areas um, where there's low resources, where there's not a a lot of uh, opportunities, Um, having one black teacher makes them 38% more likely to actually go to college. One black teacher. It could be in second grade, and that's it. And then they never see one ever again, and they are more likely to go to college. And so if we were to address these biases, right? Question them. Um, it could have ripple effects in so many, so many ways and, and, and solve some of our, you know, our, our society's biggest problems. I had never made the connection between the growth of sort of the care economy and the service yeah. economy and then mm-hmm. overlay gender with that. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and that's, you know, something Esther Perel has talked about. Um, it's, it's, it's you know we live in very um, we live in the twenty four hour news cycle right and things that even happened last week we forget about and we're super focused on just keeping up and even in this presidential you know election that we're heading into you know I, I I'm 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 not endorsing Andrew Yang at all but <laughs> I think that it's interesting that he's the only candidate who's really looking more than ten years in the future here and talking about the fourth industrial revolution and what automation is going to do um, again in our own lifetime. Um, and and if we don't really take a bird's eye view uh, of the massive changes that are happening our, in, in our economy um, and, and again, how it relates to gender, you know, we, we do have a lot of conversations around women and the workplace. 
we really don't have enough conversations about men in the workplace. Um, and, mm-hmm. and again, you know, men in the workplace, we often think about it in terms of office settings. Um, these are conversations, ar- ar- you know, ar- around the Me Too era that we're in right now. Um, focus primarily on sexual harassment in the workplace. But but yeah, gender and work is such a bigger, wider conversation um, that, that a lot of people are desperate to have. Um, and, and, and that, yeah, we need policymakers who are talking about this. We need, um, we need, we need a mainstream conversation around the, this man crisis. Hmm. I have to ask, though, and you pointed this out before that you you're you're not arguing that it is primarily women's responsibility to take on all of this work. But I mean, I feel like I can hear (laughs) some of my listeners saying, like, but why should I do this? Like, why should I take this on, too? Well, so this is the great part about this is that I did it so that you don't have to. <laughs> like I spent four years <laughs> Thank you. talking to men about being a man. I wrote this book so that, uh, you know, obviously uh, women uh, are encouraged to read this book. I really enjoyed and, and it changed my life and my uh, understanding of feminism. And it, and it enhanced my life to uh, really understand masculinity and, and understand the ways that it functions in our in our society and have a, a more rich conversation around gender. I also think, you know, I want men to read this book so that they are equipped with the tools to change their own lives, right? Um, so often when we're, again, having conversations, uh, when, when when women are having conversations around gender, they're, they're telling men to fix the things that they are not, you know, fixing uh, to make their lives better as women. I want men to do it for themselves. Of course, do it for other people. But the best way for you to be a better person to the people around you is to feel good inside of yourself, right? I, I don't think it's women's responsibility to fix men at all. And I think that before... I the reason why I wrote this book is because I was sick of being in rooms filled with women who were expected to solve men's problems mm. without men even showing up. Like how ridiculous is that? How enraging and frustrating is that? Um, I I am very uninterested in that. And to me, it sounds very confusing and limiting for us to view a conversation around masculinity as somehow taking away from women when the conversation around masculinity, right, solving men's problems is the best way and most productive way to solve women's problems. Um, right. And we're very much stuck in this in this gender war framework where it's men versus women. And if, you know, we talk about men, that, that means we're not talking about women um, when we are all connected and and this and we all have a gender and we're all living in this structure. And I'm not interested in 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 fighting and, and, and in being angry and in getting together, you know, in in auditoriums with hundreds or thousands of women talking about what we need to do as a society, um, I'm, I want everyone to be there. I want everyone to be responsible. I want everyone to be accountable. And and this can be not only more productive, but also kind of more fun. And, and so, yeah, I'm not at all telling women that it is their responsibility. The, this conversation around masculinity is about men taking responsibility. And uh, not just for not harming the women in their lives, but also not harming themselves or harming their 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 boys, right? Um, and and having a more healthy and freeing relationship um, with themselves and and the world. Hmm. What do you think those conversations should look like in a workplace? One of the things that we have heard time and time again from the from the people who listen to this podcast is 
they're just not sure how to broach these conversations in a workplace setting. But as you point out in the book, masculinity shows up all over the place when it comes to work. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I'm not a, you know, an HR expert, um, but I do see um, a problem with um, exclusively, again, gender equality being equal with women in the workplace where, yeah, women get together, women have support groups. And again, we all go in these spaces and these spaces are can be so validating and so important. And I, I don't want to get I'm, I'm not, you know, anti those spaces. Mm-hmm. But but I also think that, again, it's only going to be productive for a to, to, to like a certain extent. And I think that it's more helpful when everyone is welcome in spaces and where we're not discriminating based on gender in those spaces uh, as well. And again, when we're not just having a conversation around what it means to be a woman in the workplace, but also what it means to be a man in the workplace. One of the things that I think really doesn't get a lot of attention and, and it's sort of you know, circles back to the patriarchy being a pyramid scheme is how uncomfortable <laughs> a lot of men are in uh, w- with other men. <laughs> that yes, women, uh, you know, we're learning more and more, and and we by we, I think a lot of men are learning more and more about how uh, difficult it is to be a woman in you know operating in male-dominated industries. Um, but again, like I'm just not convinced that most of the men in that room who are, you know, let's say, partic- you know, participating in sexist behavior, I'm not convinced that most of the men in that room are enjoying that. And yeah. I actually think most of them do not enjoy it, but they don't know how to stop it. Right. Or they want to stop it, but it is not safe for them to stop it. Right. right? We reward that kind of behavior. Men reward that kind of behavior. And we need to give men more more tools and more support to question that behavior and 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 again acknowledge that there's a power structure there and just blaming men for not speaking up is is you know i think akin to blaming women for not speaking up in certain instances right um you know blaming for example you know i i interviewed a lot of queer men for the book um a lot of men with disabilities, men who are black, men who are undocumented, men who are, um, you know, aboriginal. Like these are uh, complicated. It's, it's complicated to be a man. Right. There's not yeah. one <laughs> way of being a man in our society. And and it's an intersectional, you know, experience in the same way that we would never say there's one way to be a woman in the workplace. And this is how femininity, you know, uh, operates. There's not one way that masculinity operates and not every man is equal based on all of those identities. And so a lot of queer men, for example, want want to speak up, but they can't, right? A lot of queer men have to pretend like they're straight in order to be accepted in this pyramid scheme, right? In order to just be safe in that environment. And so I think that the more men can talk about that and the more men can actually say, I don't like this either, um, the more we empower them and they can empower themselves um, to, 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 to change society and not just be, you know, bear witness to these inequalities and, and, and stand there in silence and then regret it later, but, but really be change makers and, and again, be, have agency over their lives, have more freedom over their lives. I think that we, 
I mean, I think men think that they have a lot of freedom in our society, and they definitely do more than women. But I also think we need to acknowledge the ways that the patriarchy, you know, represses them too, yeah. um, and that there are parts of them that they've never been in touch with, and and that those are the best you know, stories that I've had and the best messages I've received from from so many men who've read the book, even, you know, men in my own family who've reached out to me and told me about things that they've never told me about and that they never told anyone about. Um, There's a lot of self-discovery that 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 needs to happen. And again, someone being comfortable with themselves is the best way for us to build a better society. Um, If you are comfortable with yourself, if you are you feel safe, then you will create a safer world for everyone else. Liz Plank is an award-winning journalist. She's a host at Vox Media and the author of the wonderful book, For the Love of Men, A Vision for Mindful Masculinity. Liz, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much. I'm so, I'm so thrilled. So I'll say one of the big tactics I took away from this conversation is that asking neutral W5 and how questions, that's questions that start with who, what, when, where, why, and how, asking those questions of men, even in a workplace situation, is something worth trying. Questions like, what do you think masculinity means? Or how do you think masculinity shows up here at work? Now, until I talked with Liz, I had never thought of doing that before. And I ask people questions for a living. But if you are thinking, there is literally no way I am going to ask my men co-workers that stuff, I get it. That's fair. So maybe instead it's worth suggesting to the folks responsible for trainings or employee resource groups that there need to be structured events for men at work where they can talk about masculinity. You don't have to lead those events, but it's likely nobody's even thought of an event or a training like that before at your job. Because Liz Plank and Eula have a point. We don't talk about masculinity and what it means and how it hurts men. And if we really want our workplaces to be better and fairer and safer, maybe we need to start. BTSW is a production of KUOW in Seattle. Our amazing senior producer is Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. Our director of new content and innovation is Brendan Sweeney. Special thanks to Kirsten Wood, our digital fundraising officer, and special thanks to Michaela Kiner and Ruchika Tulshian, who have been advising us all this season. This podcast was inspired by the book Feminist Fight Club, written by Jessica Bennett. Our theme music was composed by Kessia Gordon. Our graphics designer is Tio Popescu. I'm Jeannie Yandel. Eula says hi to everybody. Keep up the good fight. See you soon. <laughs>